Welcome to Press Room on Radio Town. Presented by Garrard's Horse and Hound. Making shopping easier with their online store. The same extensive catalogue, the same keen prices online or over the phone. 1-800-060-896 or visit horseandhound.com.au. Good morning, everyone. This is Press Room for Monday, the 25th of September. Thanks for your company. Big show coming up. Ray Thomas not too far away. We're going to have a chat with Les Ross this morning as well. They had a big day at Toowoomba on Saturday in the first two-year-old of the season, the Pat O'Shea play. But there's a lot more to the story than just the result, as we said a short time ago with the boys on the Big Sports Breakfast. Of course, interested in what you think as well. News, views, agree, disagree, you know the drill. You can tweet me at Radio Tabos or text me 499 Seven eight six eight three seven. That's zero four double nine putter. You're all putters. Zero four double nine seven eight six eight three seven. Don't forget with the podcast, we tweet the link out each week on Radio Tab Oz. We'll go to Spotify and search under Radio Tab Press Room each and every Monday. Brought to you with the compliments of Garrard's Horse and Ham. It seems some in the racing industry mistake and believe tradition is a code word for change, or worse, abandonment. The test of time means little to these people. They're hungry to tinker with acknowledged or accepted formats that have earned the traditional tag because, well, I know it's hard to believe, they actually work. These people in this story are Racing Victoria and the Melbourne Racing Club. The Thousand Guineas has had a proud history since its beginnings in 1946. And I say proud because unlike many feature races across the nation, it's never been tinkered with. Positioned between Caulfield Guineas... Caulfield Cup days, the race has never had a name, distance or track change. It's a richly sought after Group 1 event in itself, but it's also a traditional stepping stone in the path towards the VRCAs on the first Thursday in November in Flemington. Some can win both, they have. Some manage to run in both, some fall at the first hurdle, either not good enough or not strong enough or both. But at least it's there, or should I say it was. In their wisdom, Racing Victoria and the MRC... No, they know that the racing fans want more. Not good enough to end on a high note with the VRC Spring Carnival, but let's drag it out even further. Don't worry about the horses either in terms of resting after the spring to prepare for the autumn. Don't worry about broodmare potential and the dollar value of the filly. All important factors realised by those who own or train or breed. No, they say it's a race, they'll run in it. Really? All I've heard is universal criticism of the shunting of the Thousand Guineas and the Sir Rupert Clark Stakes as well. A traditional path for three-year-old fillies in the spring, blown to smithereens by the controlling body that, fair to say, has had a share of black eyes in recent months and the Metropolitan Club chief disruptor. The Thousand Guineas was a neat piece in a jigsaw. Now it sits alone. But apparently they know. This highly controversial change is yet to stand the test of time. More appropriately, and sadly... It's a case of time will tell. Ray Thomas, first up on Press Room. Ray, good morning. Yeah, good morning, David, and good morning, everyone. Uh, I think it's a bit rich sometimes of whether it be Racing Victoria or Melbourne Racing Clubs, not, not the Melbourne Racing Club, but Melbourne Racing Clubs, to have a pot shot at New South Wales, whether it's Volandis or, or the, the board, about introducing new races, yet... Uh, you know, what they've done here, I haven't heard anyone who's given it a, a big vote of confidence, and I think it's wrong that the, the Guineas has been moved from where it is. Uh, your editorial is 100% correct. Couldn't 
uh, disagree with any word you said in that. Um, look, racing needs to change and innovate. I get that, and we've been saying this many times, haven't we, David, <clears throat> in recent years, because um, racing does face a lot of challenges from other sports and other betting mediums. But change for change's sake doesn't make... This is a nonsensical one. It, it, as you said, there's no one who seems to agree with the decision to move the 1,000 guineas to the back end in November. Um, I've spoken to many trainers about this, and by and large, they it's a, it's a head-scratcher because you can't set a horse for that race and then give it a, a chance to race in autumn. Um, we may see a, a good filly going win the 1,000 guineas this spring, but the chances are we won't see that filly until the autumn or back end of the season in, in maybe in Brisbane. So, again, nonsensical decision. I 100% agree with change and, and the need to innovate, but to move a time-honoured race like the 1,000 guineas, which, as you pointed out, David, is a stepping stone and always has been at a certain point of the spring where trainers and owners can focus on that race, to move it to the back end of the spring just for the sake of it, it makes no sense at all. Uh, people just shake their head. Let's have a talk about what happened on the weekend. And uh, there was uh, some rumblings on Friday that not all was well with Giga Kick, and that came to pass on Saturday when the announcement was made that Giga Kick would not contest the Everest. Uh, got me to thinking, um, the Everest has been here since 2017, and you're a better place than me because you're smarter than me and you've got a better, bigger, better and bigger brain. <laughs> Can you, can, has there been a high casualty, uh, high profile casualty in the past Everests? Not like Giga Kick, because well, he has been favourite mm. basically since markets were framed 12 months ago. Look, we've had horses that were in the race drop out with injury, of course. Nature Strip, before he became the champion sprinter, was actually in the 2018 Everest, but was withdrawn after he failed in the Moya. Um, Classic legend um, had won an Everest, uh, was withdrawn last year when obviously um, he, he was nowhere near the horse he was. We've had group one winners like English taken out of the race, but nothing of the magnitude of Giga Kick because he is, as we've said a few times, David, a, a freakish young sprinter and um, he has been favourite for the Everest for basically 12 months. So his his withdrawal, huge, huge news, and it's got a lot of people rethinking what they're going to do now with the Everest and, and these remaining slots. Um, it'll be really interesting to see what unfolds in the next uh, a week or two as, as we get closer and closer to October 14. Yeah, so he came out. So let's just look at the tab uh, fixed odds market now on the Everest with I wish I win and think about it. Sharing favouritism currently at 450 uh, private eye of $6. Bonus notches picked up by the tab during the week at 9 Cylinders there at 11 uh, Osmosis, 11 Sunshine in Paris, 11 And the In Secret, 13 We'll come to her in just a moment. Overpass at 13 Picked up by the ATC and Rams Racing during the week. They were the two that were added to the list we had from last Monday. And, of course, Marzu was the longest price of those with a slot at $21. So it's a fairly clustered market with a, a heap of horses between yeah. $4.50 and $13. But in secret is Godolphin's Choice and Zach Pert will ride. Uh, yes, and we, she, well, they haven't officially confirmed her as the runner, but the fact they booked Zach Pert and that basically put the tick there next to in secret as Godolphin's runner. I do know Godolphin are very open to also having Cylinder in the Everest. His run on the Golden Rose was enormous. Again, they 
um, where does he fit in? Which slot holder would, would pick him up? There's basically only four left if Godolphin take in secret as we expect now. So um, he's run, as I said, in the Golden Rose, enormous. Osmosis, a lot of talk about the other three-year-old who was so good in the heritage. So um, maybe James Herron, who made that left field selection last year with Giga Kick and got it so right. Uh, maybe he could look at one of these two three-year-old cylinder osmosis. I, I spoke to him towards the end of the day on Saturday. It was a big day for him because he woke up Saturday morning um, with Giga Kick in his slot. By Saturday evening, he was trying to think what he's going to do going forward. He even indicated he could wait as late as the Roman Consul, which is October 7, to make his mind up. So I think we, James Hound will be the last to make that call, but we'll know a lot more this weekend with the running of the Premier Stakes. Well, the slots that are left, let, let, let's look mm. at them. So we, we've discussed James Heron, so that, that's, we'll put that to the side. Yep. Chris Waller Racing. Now, there was some indication, I felt probably stronger than lesser, that Espiona might be the rep because mm. she's come back really well. I mean, if Sunshine Paris is in the, the Everest, uh, Espiona was very good behind her. And then, of course, we saw her win most impressively on Saturday. So yeah. uh, she wouldn't be out of place in an Everest. She's a talented mare. Whether she can win an Everest, I don't know. But two things are in her favour. One, she's racing better than ever. And secondly, we're going to get that dry spring. She needs firm track. So she will get that. In an Everest, we're talking a lot about the race shape and the fact that probably Overpass gets to lead on his own. That may very well be true. But I always come back to $20 million and 12 sprinters, one chance at it generates pressure anyway, doesn't it, David? So if the pace is on, a horse like Espiona is sitting off speed. She can wheel off brilliant sectionals. It wasn't that long ago the poor poor thing was labelled the next wink. She couldn't quite live up to that. But she's broken through this year to win at Group 1 level in the Coolmore. As you point out, she was very good behind Sunshine in Paris and the Scirocco in brilliant time. And then she came out and franked that form in the Golden Pendant. So... Certainly Chris Waller didn't rule out running Espiona, but again, he's got the luxury of time on his side now. as Well, he can wait next week or two before making his mind up. That's Chris Waller racing. Coolmore, uh, sticky situation. Shinzo was looking likely. Look, I didn't think the run was all that bad in in the Golden Rose and the sectionals backed that up, but a bit of a a physical uh, query post-race. Yeah, lane two out of five, according to Stewart, so... I was actually trying to call Chris Wall this morning. I haven't had much luck getting through to try and get an update for you. If there was any major issue, I'm sure it would have come out by now. So, look, on Saturday, Chris, in his words, he says, no need to panic on that run. The race just didn't work out for Shinzo from the barrier, and he went back, etc. Um, certainly, you, you would have wanted more from him, but the fact that he did pull up with a slight issue at least you can prepare to, to forgive the cult for that. And I know Coolmore definitely want to run Shinzo all being well. So I'd put him down at this stage as a runner in the Everest, which basically brings us down to those two slots left now. And the, the other slot holder, which has probably escaped a lot of the um, attention and publicity, is Yulong. And mm-hmm. it's, it's been discussed that their horse alcohol free will be their Everest runner. Is that locked in? Provided she runs well in the premiere, and right. I've spoken to Adrian Bott a couple of times in, in the last week or so, they're very upbeat about how this mare has come back this spring. On the evidence of her run in autumn on that wet track over a mile, you'd think, well, she can't win an Everest. But remember, she arrived in Australia 
was basically race fit. Um, they gave her that run on the Queen of the Turf. It was well below what she's shown in England, where she's a three-time Group 1 winner. But given the spell and given the opportunity to be trained to Australian conditions, she's showing that speed which she had earlier in her career. And certainly uh, the Waterhouse spot stable were upbeat about her chances to run well Saturday in the premiere and then lock in that Everest spot on October 14. You'd have to say after Saturday's racing, Cylinder and Osmosis are the two most prominent lurking in the wings. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so... Look, will James Heron pick one of those two, as you mentioned earlier? Possibly. I thought, as I mentioned earlier, Cylinders run three wide and exposed most of the trip in the Golden Rose, and he was still making a lunge later. That's three starts, three wins. You could say, look, Everest is going to come too soon for him, but we all thought the same thing with Giga Kick last year, and it's been proven now these three-year-olds with a lightweight can run very, very competitively in an Everest. So certainly the connections of Osmosis, um, Scott Darby, the syndicator in particular, and, and Henry Field is now involved in that syndicate, they are both keen to run in the Everest if they can get a slot. And potentially a bit to play out this weekend with the Moyer on Friday night at the Valley and, mm. of course, the Premier on Saturday. Uh, Imperatriz uh, is still included in markets, doubtful alongside of its name at $6.00. Speaking with Ben Dorries on Past the Post yesterday, he believes that the the, the, the deal that, that they want, the, the Imperatrice team, is too tough for slot holders. Is, are you hearing yeah. something the same? Yeah, you're very similar. Look, Imperatrice haven't exactly, well, the connections haven't exactly closed the door, but um, they're, they're locked into their Melbourne campaign unless the slot holder gives them a deal that's too good to be true. And, and I just don't think that's going to happen uh, as good as she is. And... So I'm putting a line through Imperatrice in terms of the Everest. This weekend, uh, well, this, this used to be almost the grand final of your spring carnival. Yeah. Uh, now we're only just warming up, but uh, the big <laughs> ones, the, the big uh, three group ones, the Tab Epsom, looks like it's going to be wide betting and a big field, Pericles, $6 and Fangirl and Hope in Your Heart at $8. Yeah, look, not sure if Fangirl's running, but um, again, I was trying to get hold of Chris this morning, so I could give you the latest there. Um, they may wait for the King Charles with her, but um, look, she's in terrific form. She's a great miler, and um, if she runs in the Epsom, she'll be hard to beat. Pericles has come up enormous this spring. A mare like Hope in Your Heart, I love what Kerry Parker has done with her. Her first up run was, was huge. He could have run her in the the seven stakes a week and a half ago, decided not to just concentrate on the Epsom. Uh, she ran fourth in the Doncaster. She never runs a bad race out there. So she's right in the contest. Democracy Manifest, did you happen to see his win in the Cameron? Enormous, David. And he's going to get into the Epsom with a lightweight, run a terrific race. And a horse fight nugget, one run back. He, he's going great guns. And be a deep Epsom tomorrow morning is the barrage. We're going to be live on... Sky Thoroughbred Central, and I know the Randwick Mile was the fairest start in Australia, but you always want to draw a decent barrier in Epsom. Yeah, so a big field and and and, and more than likely wide betting in stark contrast, mm. just uh, fine dominates the Metrop market at $2, and we'll, we'll put it into perspective, it's $2 just fine. The next pair are at $11, Ben Allen Major Beal, but as we said last week, just fine, those two wins has created a very, very strong impression. Yeah, have you, a question for you, David, can you recall an import who has hit the ground running like mm. Just Fine has done in his two starts? He's run brilliant time in both. Um, he's sustained 
uh, a gallop from basically 800 metres on both occasions and just left his rival standing. And there is so much up, upside with this horse. And you talk to people like Adrian Bott and, and use that cliche about um, being nowhere near the ceiling. They don't know how good he is. And as you just indicated, David, when you've got $2 in a metrop and then $11 the field, he dominates the betting. And on the evidence of what we've seen so far, you've got to say, how do they beat him in the metrop? Exactly right. And of course, the other group one is the flight. Tis Invincible uh, just keeps on winning and she is a deserved favourite at 260. She has the clash again, the return bad with Kamachi at $5. Some will say Kamachi will be better suited than Tis Invincible at the mile, but it's hard to not winning form, Ray. Yeah, exactly. And how often do we fall into that trap? We look away from the obvious and and look at the unlucky runner. And to be fair, Kimochi hasn't had things go her way. And last start in the T Rose, uh, she was three wide and exposed for most of the race. Yet she was making ground. Tis Invincible late, but what Tis Invincible has got is that brilliant turn of foot. And and she's won all three starts this um, spring. Highly talented filly. She was far too good from when she let go on the T rows. She put that race to bed quite quickly. And Kieran Ma, absolutely adamant, she'll have no issue with the at the mile. And quite often we see these dominant fillies. They they race through this series and they keep winning. She's she is entitled to be favoured at two sixty. Whether Kamachi should be that far away from her at five dollars, I think they'll get a bit closer come race time. But uh, Tis Invincible for all intents and purposes, definitely the one to beat in the flight stakes on Saturday. Time's beaten us, Ray. We'll chat. We'll chat in a fortnight. Just on on that, uh, of course, next Monday is a public holiday and uh, mm-hmm. as a national coverage on our radio network. So we'll talk in two weeks' time. Look forward to it, David. Ray Thomas joining us this morning. Just a quick comment regarding the last minute cancellation of the Ipswich meeting last Thursday, which. Of course, as you are aware, has been transferred to this afternoon. Of course, it's not good enough that a meeting's called off so late in the piece with the backdrop of fine weather. There was mid-30s temperatures. A soft five track rating that morning might have raised some eyebrows, but not enough to think that a drama could unfold. Look, if there was too much irrigation, a question has to be asked why. And also, it's not the first time this area in question, the, the 1,500 metres, has been a trouble spot. But working on the premise of excessive irrigation... Why wasn't this picked up at the morning track walk? It it beggars belief. There's been another scenario thrown up that it was all okay at the morning track work and something occurred during the morning. Well, if that's the case, the question has to be asked, what? Who to believe in all of this? And how can anyone move forward in a constructive way if someone or some people aren't prepared to put their hand or hands up? But just on the meeting itself, and this is something that I thought about, there were two races scheduled that horses would have been galloping at race speed. And significantly, they were the first two events. One was over 2,200, one was over 1,700. They could have been postponed to Wednesday's Cardips, which is racing this Wednesday as well. Surely then, as the first two races, there would have been ample time to manoeuvre the rail out from that two-metre position to a 12-metre position in that area when the horses pulled up after races three to eight and reliably informed the wet patch was 10 metres in length. So you would have then had a six-race card starting at 145. Would that have been too hard to do? And, of course, there are broader issues at play here as well. This has come up again, the contentious argument of watering and manufacturing tracks to transform from a soft five on race morning to a good four by race one came up into the spotlight again. So quite a few things to discuss out of last Thursday, but uh, it's pretty confusing with so many stories uh, arriving on one's desk. Let's have a chat with Ben Dorries now. Ben, good morning. 
And morning, David. I tell you what, you've got fans everywhere. Bill from Adelaide writes, David, with Rupert Murdoch retiring, has Ben Dory's got the call up for bigger things? <laughs> here we go. Well, I'm just reading what's here. <laughs> oh, just... yeah. uh, I'm tipping you've just made Bill from Adelaide up. No, Bill Hecker <laughs> from Adelaide is a real person and an avid listener. Good morning, Bill. But um... yeah. I think Bill could be taking the piss here, David. No, I... well, well, he might be too. He might <laughs> having be said too. that, having said that, maybe he's familiar with uh, quite familiar with Rupert's work. Of course, he did start down in Adelaide, uh, you know, with the, the newspaper down there. So. Uh, no, well, what an innings though, ninety two. Wow, we only I could get to ninety two. Oh. I reckon I'd, uh, yeah, I reckon the I'll set the unders and overs mark for myself at about seventy five. I reckon. I wish I could. Hey, um, as from October seven, I think it is. Uh, we'll have ten race cards, twenty five of them on Saturdays here in in Brisbane um, as a, a trialling measure. Uh, it, it should be remembered, or maybe some do remember it, maybe some don't. But we've had ten race cards in from mid-October to early November for about the last six years. And naturally, by having 10 races, you're going to get bigger turnover than what you've had with nine races or, or eight races. But the other factor, Ben, worth remembering, these 10 races that we've had over the past six years, they've only been like four or five meetings, but they've generally piggybacked off those big days like Golden Eagle, Caulfield Cup, Cox Plate, Derby Day. And honestly, the, the meetings that... If you're racing on the same day as the Caulfield Cup or the Golden Eagle... Uh, you, your turnover is very good. I, I can report that last year, there was, the meeting at Eagle Farm, it coincided with um, uh, Caulfield Cup at Everest Day. The, the total turnover was around $40 million, which is an extraordinary figure uh, at that time of year. But with the 10 races and piggybacking off you know, big meetings, um, your figures go up. But I think the trial is good that it's, it's now a, a proper trial and extended right through to, to early April and uh, it's a step in the right direction, to my way of thinking. Yeah, I'm sort of, I'm very rarely on the fence with things, David, but I'll get a splinter in my bum of it with this. I can totally understand the argument that Jason Scott puts forward, and especially with his wagering background, that, that having an extra race on Saturdays, and they will, we should point out, be pruning a race off the midweek Metro mm. program um, to, to do that. Uh, yeah, certainly. Um, everyone's got their eyes on wagering after the, the COVID pandemic, the, the false sort of sugar highs for wagering. And, and we have seen wagering generally nosedive, um, wagering turnover, that is, in, in most places around the country. So anything to boost or, or to give uh, a bit of a kickstart to wagering turnover, I think is a good idea. Ten races. Uh, look, the, the thing that worries me a little bit is, yeah, Sydney and Melbourne, uh, we've seen them... Oh, there's plenty of good horses, though, in Sydney and Melbourne, isn't there, for those 10-race cards, and we've got midways and all sorts of things. I just wonder at some times of the year, I'm not talking about carnival time, but at some times of the year, are there actually enough good horses to justify a 10-race card in Queensland? I, I just... Yeah, just on that, just on that, though, that, that should be no drama. We get nine races every week here, no drama at all. All they're doing is taking a midweek race to the Saturday. So... That that'll be yeah. Fair. I guess I guess what I guess what I'm suggesting though is you know Wednesday midweek metro is is very different sure. uh, in, in, you know to a Saturday meeting isn't it to a Saturday yeah. metro meeting where where you've got the eyeballs of the country on you. But, I mean let's let's face it on Wednesdays I know it's a metro meeting but you know most people are at work unless you're a diehard punter you're probably not watching whereas you are on Saturday so that, that's the difference. Look I'm not criticising it I think it's probably on balance of probability a a decent move. I just wonder. 
how some of those 10 race cards at particular times of year will, will stack up in Queensland. Um, but look, um, it is a trial, isn't it? I mean, it's not set in stone. So, mm. you know, we can always go away and tweak it and, you know, do a few different things if we need to. So, look, oh, look, I'm not entirely sold, but on the balance of probability and with wagering, obviously a big buzzword is probably a good thing. And I think for a fair, fair chunk of those 25 meetings, you've got quality racing because... We're going through November, December and early January. That's when our summer carnival's on. So there's no drama there. Sure, the, the quality factor drops off after, say, mid-January or maybe the end of January. So February and March might be interesting. So I take your point there. But I think also that the licensees uh, I c- can't complain with that race being transferred from Wednesday at 38000 to Saturday at 50000 So they're getting an extra 12000 So effectively, it's a prize money increase for that race. And I'm sure the race that will be selected will be at the top end, like a benchmark 70 or, or a class 4 or a class 5. The other factor is, too, talking about times, and I think it's a legitimate concern of licensees. You know, how, how long do you want us to be in the race? How long do you want us to work? I thought there was one quote very interesting in the press release. It says... At the same time, we're mindful of not overburdening our trainers and jockeys, so it's imperative that we do all that we can to truncate our start and finish times during this period. That means to me, or says to me, that we won't be having 40-minute gaps between races. If anything, largely 35, which is the traditional time gap, or maybe a couple of 30s as well. So it won't be you know, spread out too long. So we'll, we'll see that when it happens. Uh, I think, what do you think of the move of um, uh, trialling the Twilight's sunny coast January, February? I think that's not a bad idea. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not. Um, I, I reckon they'll certainly probably get more eyeballs on, on the races, um, you know, I, I guess in that twilight period. I mean, look, I haven't seen the figures from uh, wagering turnover uh, and other figures from Wheatwood Day, but I'd suggest having the Wheatwood run um, at 5.30, for instance, which is effectively a twilight slot, isn't it, uh, would would certainly do wonders for the for the turnover of, mm. of you know, of that particular race. Uh, look, I could be terribly wrong. As I said, I haven't seen the figures. But you, you won't look, be. No. <laughs> you won't so be wrong. Look, yeah, so look, I mean, you know, all the data and everything suggests, doesn't it, that, that twilight is the way to go. Again, I guess... You know, going back to your point, we probably just do have to be a little bit careful that we we don't stretch the rubber band too far. But um, I mean, they're just talking about a troll there in a few meetings. So look, uh, it'll be interesting to watch. The other interesting bit about that announcement, David, too, was um, you know, there's a fourth um, TAB meeting on a Saturday uh, in Queensland. I mean, Queensland has a hell of a lot of race meetings, doesn't it? Um, and look, they're basically looking. Uh, I guess moving that meeting potentially to a Sunday, Monday or Tuesday, mm. uh, which I don't mind um, because, I mean, there's so many race meetings, isn't there, on, on a Saturday. Uh, if you've got four meetings in Queensland, especially at peak times of the year down south, I mean, basically some of them get very, very little exposure if we, we, we delve down to the fourth meeting. So by, by moving that meeting to a Sunday, Monday or Tuesday, uh, you would think we'd get more eyeballs on that. However, um, I guess... Yeah, what does that do to wagering turnover for that meeting? I mean, it must be huge anyway, I guess. So, look, that's a watch this space one too, David. Yeah, I think the, um, you know, I get that you've got to turn more over on a, on a Monday or Tuesday than when you're hidden virtually on a Saturday on Sky 2. Downside is, I think it's a, a legitimate downside to, to acknowledge is that from a club point of view, it's not ideal. You, you get a better crowd 
certainly on a weekend than you would on a Monday and Tuesday. So maybe Racing Queensland has to look at those clubs that are in that position and and, and, and work out some sort of deal where they're not financially uh, disadvantaged uh, as a result. Uh, I was in the studio here yesterday. Um, of course, you go home early and enjoy the rest of the day while I prepare for press room. But, I, but, I'll, t- but I'll tell you one thing. I had the, the TV on. I was watching the races at Flemington. I noted quite a few people, you know, along the, the fence over the last 200 metres. thought, they've got a good crowd. I didn't know a lot about it until I read RaceNet this morning. This was a great idea by the VRC. Tell us about it. Oh, look, it was tremendous. Basically, it was a, a, effectively an open day at the Flemington Stables, which, which um, you know, there was 12 participating stables, like not small ones either. I mean, we're talking Gay Waterhouse, Lindsay Park, Godolphin, you know, the Freedmans, Danny O'Brien, the Melbourne Cup winner. Uh, so it was called a, you know, it was sort of promoted as the inaugural Flemington Training Centre Open Day, which sounds on the face of it a little bit bland, but it wasn't at all. I mean, it was it was parents and kids and and families going down and just wandering around the stables, getting to talk to some of these, um, you know, trainers and other participants, getting to pat horses, you know, not not just any horses like Alligator Blood, for instance, which won the the Group One the day before, you know. So imagine. Imagine if you're a you know, 13, 14-year-old kid, Alligator Blood just won a Group 1, uh, you've got a little bit of an interest in racing or your family do, and you can go down and get some selfies with Alligator Blood the next day. I mean, just terrific stuff. And, and you know what? Um, I saw a, a, a Matt Stewart, who's a, is a, a racing journalist in Melbourne, I saw him tweet this morning, and, and I'll just read it to you, because Matt, I, I don't think always hits a nail on the head, but I'll tell you what I reckon he did in this case. Uh, he tweeted, he said, look, this upbeat response to the Flemington stable visits proves there is a strong appetite for promoting racing's timeless basics, hopefully a spark uh, for a new focus from those who steer horse racing. Community engagement is the most important thing. And I reckon that absolutely hit the nail on the head, whether it's racing or whether it's you know cricket or footy, you know, fans signing autographs and open days at Broncos training and these sort of things, uh, it's it's... It's what every sport should be doing. And you know what? The VRC probably aren't on my Christmas card list or vice versa. I've given them a fair bit of fair bit of stick over the last 12 or 18 months over various things. Uh, but three cheers for them on this occasion. They've got it absolutely right. I hope there's more of it at um, big training centres all around the country, David. Just before you go, uh, another story that's developing. It's an exciting one too with Amelia's Jewel. She won the Let's Elope. The embarrassment of riches that is in front of her over the next uh, month or so is is frightening. What path does she take? Now, she went to the Valley this morning. She had a spin around there. She'll run on the stock stakes on Friday night. That is locked in. But after that, is it Sydney? Is it Melbourne? Is it Sydney or Melbourne? You know what, David? I get the feeling that how she goes in the stock stakes, and I'm not talking about necessarily winning or losing. You'd think she'd be winning. But I guess how she handles that Mooney Valley track could actually literally mm. determine her spring park because, as we know, Mooney Valley's a very, very unique track. You know, horses generally can either just love it or they can just sort of battle a bit around there and especially, you know, because she's come from interstate, it's all, all sort of, you know, fairly foreign and, and, and what have you to her. So, look, I just think, you know, if she shows an electrifying turn of foot off the bend at the valley and just goes whooshka, they're going to say, well, it's impossible to knock back a Cox Plate now. I know she's not taking on any Cox Plate horses on Friday night, but if she does that, I think they'll find it very hard to steer away from the Cox Plate. Alternatively, if she crabs around a bit, maybe wins, isn't that impressive, just struggles with the belly a bit, 
they might just think, oh, it's only going to get harder from here if we keep going at this track. Uh, maybe we might go to Sydney and go to the King Charles mm-hmm. and then the Golden Eagle, which, of course, has got uh, weaker um, as a result of Giga Kick, who was one of the favourites. Uh, who, who knows whether he would have ended up there after the Everest, but, of course, he's injured and out of the spring now. So, look, the Golden Eagle would be a, a terrific race, but it certainly you know, won't be the Cox Plate. So, yeah, just interesting stuff. But she is a horse who puts bums on seats, gets eyeballs fixed on the TV. I would suggest there would be just as many people watching the coverage on Friday night um, to see Amelia's dual race again and they will be to watch the Group 1 more stakes, David. So you know, just to drill it down, you've got Turek or King Charles, then you've got Golden Eagle or Cox Plate, and then even you know during uh, Flemington's week, you've got the Empire Rose, you've got the, the Champions Mile. It's a fascinating time and uh, she's a wonderful mare. And uh, we'll talk to you in a... In a four, and we'll talk to you in, on, on Past the Post next Sunday. Yeah, terrific, Dave. I can't wait. Good on you, mate. There he is. And Dory's joining us. Um, just going back to the Moya on Friday night. Of course, um, it's going to be a wonderful meeting with the the Group 1 sprint and Imperatriz, after that dashing performance in the McEwen, is naturally a short price favourite. And she's currently $1.90 on tab fix. But Queensland have a strong representation. Just checking the market. Imperatriz at one ninety is Fura. At $5, she was good first up. Rothfire at 8 Bella Nipotina at 9 Uncommon James, he worked in the Valley this morning as well at $9. And uh, where's Zeus, Zeus style in there? Yes, he's a $26 chance. But that's the big one on Friday night. Well, as I mentioned uh, in the lead-up to press room this morning, Les Ross and Mike Crooks, uh, this uh, great combination. They're great mates as well as business partners. Les the trainer, Mike the owner. We had the first two-year-old race at Toowoomba on Saturday, the Padoche Plate, the traditional juvenile starting point. And uh, Les and Mike had six runners in. It was a fantastic result. Les joins me this morning. How are you, mate? Great, David. First, second, third, fifth, sixth and seventh. The first question, you're good with facts and you're good with money, they say. Tell me how much the team earned on Saturday out of that race. Off the, off the top of your head. Check under 20 120, which is uh, not a bad day's pay, but uh, when you analyse it and say, well, we've had him in work for nine months and uh, he's paying up for about 35 mm. of them for nine months, it's a, it's a long way to go to get break square. But anyway, we're, uh, we're, we're, we didn't, we got a little bit back. That's the first one. So hopefully we can get a, get it all back and plus a little bit you, of spending you, money. You've made some inroads, but you make a good point, Les. Uh, a lot of cost involved, isn't there, with so many horses? Oh, you know, I, I just, uh, I'd hate to have uh, Crooksy's vet bill, let alone uh, the training fees. But, um, yeah, no, it's uh, there's a lot of money goes in, but he, he's entitled to win a little bit. And it was great to get some back, and it was a great start for the year. Um, we go up there every year, and uh, I've only did it once before. So this was the second time we won the Pat O'Shea, and uh, hopefully we can do it again next year. And I think uh, the way the system that we've got now, it's uh, certainly... The, Every year we seem to do a little bit of a change and certainly worked uh, wonders this year. So, so ha- take us back for our listeners who, who d- mightn't quite understand what happened. So you've got a big bunch of horses and then in the end some make the grade, some don't. How many are on the books for this racing season, for the 23-24 racing season? The, the, how many two-year-olds are on your books? Well, Crooksy had 37 or 38 mares foal. So there's 38 fold, and you always lose a few of them, like um, due to 
birth problems. It's just like um, any fact of life. Sometimes uh, something goes wrong. So there's a couple of them dropped out. So he had about 35 left. Um, and then I've got a couple other clients that I've had for many years. Um, my good friend Albert Chu and uh, Malcolm Gray, who's been with me 25 years. He's the longest. Remember, he's got two yearlings. So all up, we had uh, 39 uh, yearlings on the books this year, and out of the 39, we've got 31 ready to race. So it was uh, it was a pretty big uh, job to do, and none for Albert or Malcolm's. All of them are cooksies at this stage. So um, yeah, it's a, it's a big operation. It's like, and I can't do it myself. Um, Donna uh, works out on the farm. She's a foreman out on the farm. My daughter's a foreman in Brisbane, and um, Annie's the secretary who does all the norms and acceptances and. Uh, wages, so it's a it's a massive operation. There's about 19 people to thank, but um, I'm just lucky enough to be steering the ship. Who does all the naming? Uh, that's all up to Mike and Donna and whoever else. Fernando, he's got a friend that's um, here, and she does she did a lot of them names, but uh, I have nothing to do with it. Um, I did want uh, Mashani. Queenslander or Mashani Maroon, but I didn't get my way this year, maybe next year. And I haven't seen a Mashani Les or a Mashani Mike. No, no, no. We've got a Mashani Lily starting Saturday, but uh, she's my little apprentice. But um, yeah, no, he, uh, well, Mike is in the Mashani, Mike and Shani, that's his daughter. So that's, uh, so yeah, but I don't know. I don't, uh, I don't get, get into the names, it's too hard. And it's certainly too hard to remember them, so uh, I'd like to call them by numbers. So, yeah, well, so would I, but we can't. But <laughs> what about this Saturday? So how many are lining up this weekend? Uh, we've got seven. He wanted four, and we snuck it out to six, and now we squeeze one more in. We've got seven going around, hopefully, um, depending on where they draw and how many's in the race, of course. But uh, there's Invincible, Storm, Delta, Voltage, Style, Lily, and Express this week. So mm. hopefully one of them can salute. Are we at Duba this week? Uh, Eagle Farm, I believe. Eagle Farm. So we could we could run ten at the thousand yeah. metres for the two-year-old. Yeah. So you may have seven of the ten runners. Not quite as big as the nine you had last year. Yeah, well, we have got uh, thirty-one ready, so we could uh, quite easily do that. But he doesn't uh, want to. He doesn't want to smother them. So smother uh, the market. He, he was happy to start four on Saturday, but I don't know. I don't know whether we would have won if we only started four. I think we were a bit lucky that them uh, other horses drew wide and they had a torrid run, so we might have got a bit lucky there. Well, just on the Pato show, that winner was started $21. Mashani Rock, did you give it any chance at all? Or when, where did you rate it in the, in the six? It was in the top four. Um, we had uh, Benny. Uh, Benny Thompson was on the best one, we thought, which um, was a filly, and... Jimmy couldn't make weight on the filly, and uh, and I got Jimmy to gallop uh, Rock and uh, Eclipse on Tuesday, and I said, "You you tell me." I had Eclipse earmarked for him, and I said, "But if you want to ride Rock, you can ride him." And he said, "No, I'll stick with um, with your judgment." And yeah, it was the wrong call, but um, I had I had Eclipse running third, Benny winning, and the other Chestnut filly Fire running second, and. Rock was to run fourth with Bubba on it, but uh, we're just we're quite happy that he he got up. Don't worry. I want to ask you one more question before you go. Uh, I've had a huge opinion of this Mashani Royale. She won the Prelude. Um, she's been very very good. Of course, she won during Magic Millions Carnival time. She won that race before the Magic Millions. We haven't seen her for several months. What's the story? Uh, she uh, got kicked and got a little chip in her leg and had the chip removed and had a little bit of time out. 
and Roshani Renegade, the same sort of thing. He had a chip in his front knee and got it removed, and he had a bit of time out, and they're both uh, back, and they're both crawling tomorrow, funny as you ask now. So uh, hopefully Benny will ride, um, Benny Thompson will ride Royal in the trial tomorrow, and uh, Jimmy Orman will ride Renegade, and hopefully they trial okay. Yeah, we look forward to seeing both of them, but Jimmy Shani Royal, uh, I've got a... Got a really strong opinion of her. Good to talk to you, mate. Um, uh, you, you were one of the highlights again of the Wayne Wilson medal with those jokes. Do you want to? You don't want to tell that rats one this morning, do you, to our listeners? <laughs> I got in a bit of trouble for that. But, did, uh, did you? Eh? Anyway, Funny we'll, we'll leave the we'll leave the rat in the box. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll leave the rat in the box, and you stick to the training. Talk to you soon. <laughs> Thanks, mate. There he is, Liz. I can tell you a story there. Les Ross uh, joining us this morning. But, uh, look, it, it's 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 always uh, great. I mean, there's been some critics, and I, I find it extraordinary that there's any criticism. They get their horse up and running early, and I tell you something, if they didn't have them in, we might have the bloody race. That's worth thinking about as well. Let's take a break. We'll come back and join Ben Scannon on the other side. This is Press Room, brought to you by Garrett's Horse and Hound. You're listening to Press Room with David Fowler on Radio Tab. If it's equine or canine, your one-stop shop is Garrett's Horse and Hound. 13 stores across Australia and New Zealand. Garrett's Horse and Hound stock all the big names and they provide the very best inventory services. You can buy the products online. It's horseandhound.com.au or it's a free call number 1-800-060-896. 1-800-060-896. Garrett's Horse and Hound, they've been with us since day one of Press Room over eight years ago. Neil writes in an interesting point too with regards to 10 races on, in Brisbane on a Saturday, as a suggestion, a maiden, as used to be, it was always held. I believe being for better prize money would create competitive and big fields as trainers would target higher prize money and would be good for turnover. And, yes, a maiden was always on the, the card. Of course, traditionally now, well, not traditionally, but um, regularly, a uh, maiden is on the, the card in Adelaide each Saturday. Just before we join Ben Scannon, a special birthday mention to a very special lady... She loves her racing, and she's got a lot of friends in racing. She celebrates a very special birthday tomorrow. Good morning to Carol Moore. Carol, from Bill, your brother, and all of your friends in racing, I hope you have a wonderful day. Of course, she was the first member of the first female member of the Brisbane Racing Club, but has always loved her racing over many, many years and still going strong. Happy birthday, Carol, for tomorrow. Ben Scandler joins us now. Ben, good morning. Hi, David. How are you? Well, I found it amusing that... Uh, uh, Stewart's inquired into a trainer in Mount Gambia. <laughs> I mean, honestly. <laughs> so about the, uh, the apparent price drift of Clever Man, which went from officially two dollars eighty to forty one dollars. Let's put things in perspective. It went up yeah. two dollars eighty on Wednesday. I'd say that the trader has marked it incorrectly or has got it wrong. Well, probably has yeah, because that's right. because Chicago Storm, who I think ran odds on, was five dollars in the first call. But just to put things into proper pers- perspective, on the Saturday morning. Uh, when we previewed the meeting with with Brett and Nadia, twenty dollars. Uh, well, it was twelve. It was twelve. Oh, but, 12 but, okay. But yeah. but no one in the world liked it. So the two dollars eighty no. was the wrong price. So I don't even want to bother. Yeah, no. It's just as you said. The uh, the person framing the markets for the tab that that day made a mistake. Clever man um, has had eight fresh runs. Never run a place. <laughs> He's never never won. A race shorter than 1,850 metres, um, and he definitely prefers uh, soft tracks as well. So, him being first up over 1,400 metres in a benchmark 86 on a, on a very firm track, um, 
there was no way he was should have been anything other than at least double double figure odds. So yeah, it was just a mistake, and um, you know, I guess the stewards potentially there's no harm in them asking the question, but I guess it you know it does create it did create a bit of media interest, and there was you know a story written I read yesterday on on punters about the fact that um, stewards called in Trevor White to say hey, what's happening? But the horse kind of ran as pretty much as well as you would expect first up. I thought he ran okay. And, um, yeah, the reality is he should just never have been that, that $2.80. That was a mistake. Yeah, and I suppose... And not, not the trainer's mistake. No, exactly. I suppose in this case, from from the, the trainer's point of view, not a bad mistake to make. It's worse if you go up the wrong odds, like at $8 when it starts $2 or something like that, which... You know, yeah, exactly. So anyone who got the $5 Chicago Storm would have been happy. And on Chicago Storm... Is he headed towards the Murray Bridge Cup? Yeah, he is. Like it was a really good good tune up for that race, wasn't it? I thought he um geez, he's got a wonderful record, this this horse. David Aldridge's done a super job with him, been very careful where he's placed him. He's had sixteen starts, one six, eight placings, so you know, barely missed a missed a, a placing in in, you know, his entire career. Um, thought he's really good on Saturday. He's got a very good record on the parks track, um, eight starts for four wins, four placings. Um but I heard David Aldridge talking after the race, and he actually thinks the horse will really enjoy Murray Bridge, the space there. Um, can drop, be ridden potentially a little bit more conservatively. Um, but, yeah, he's, he's cherry ripe, and, and that's his, his main aim this campaign, $120,000 Murray Bridge Cup. That's on October 7th, so just under two weeks, weeks away on a Saturday. Um, should be a very big day. I know the club always prepares very well for this day, and you'd expect a, a very strong crowd and, and very good fields as well. Yeah, and uh, some other horses out of the Saturday meet might also be headed the same way. Yeah, it looks like it's, um, funnily enough, I guess it makes sense, two weeks out from the Murray Bridge Cup, there were a few horses that we saw on Saturday that that are likely to be, you know, pushing for the um, for the Murray Bridge Cup. So in the race that Chicago Storm won on Francais, she's always been a, you know, a very talented mare for Jake Stevens. Um, I thought she ran a, ran a really good race on Saturday. She was track wide for the base of the entire trip and she's still really strong to the line only got beaten half length and she'll she'll certainly be improved on that that first up run she's generally a horse who does get a little bit better with with racing so and the mile will suit her as well so she's absolutely as long as nothing goes wrong in the next two weeks she'll absolutely be heading to the Marybridge Cup um we also had Thursday Guest who's a promising up-and-coming Myler, I would say, for Dan Clark and Ookie McGilvray. He, uh, he won the 1550 metre benchmark 70 on Saturday. Um, his challenge could be that he he might struggle to get a run. It's just going to depend on how the, the nominations pan out. But he's pretty low in the in the ratings. I think he's um, it's about a 64 or 66 rate or something like that. So that might mean that he struggles to get a run in the race. Um, but... I think they're certainly going to nominate him and, and hope that he does get a get a run. He's a he's a promising up and coming type, I think. Thirsty guess and um, yeah, Dan Dan Clark and Open Bagulbay do a very good job with their team. So H Demico ran second in that race. It, it, it's more likely to go to the uh, Marybridge Cup as well, and should get a run because it's a, it's a bit more highly highly rated. What about uh, Mindery Halland? Of course, lost that that meeting recently. Any plans to reschedule it? Yeah, well. I, I know we talked about it a week ago and it was a bit of a disaster, wasn't it? The uh, a sprinkler um, burst overnight and there was a, that bad pack, patch on the track and unfortunately a lot of people made the trip to Midry Halland and then found out half an hour before the first that they wa- they'd wasted their time and there wasn't going to be any racing. Um, 
I was worried when I looked at the calendar and thought, well, where, where are there gaps here that they could potentially run this meeting over the next four weeks? And there, there aren't too many gaps in the uh, on the calendar here because it kind of would have to be on a on a Sunday pretty much. And, yeah, there weren't many opportunities there. So, yeah, unfortunately, the uh, the Mindry Halliday meeting for 2023 won't be rescheduled. So um, they're going to have to wait another 12 months and um, they'll probably be doing some pretty strong checks of the of the sprinkler system before the uh, before the cups due next year I would think so yeah unfortunate um, unavoidable within within reason I think it's fair to say and, and potentially um, they may reconsider the process they have in terms of um, you know checking track conditions and suitability especially for those um, you know more remote kind of meetings as well um, there will be some compensation I think there's some um, there's a there's a clause within the um, within the rules of racing here in South Australia that there is a, a, a level of compensation for both trainers and jockeys. Um, I don't know the exact details of that, but at least there will be some form of compensation. And just before you go, young trainer Kylie Schultz has got an exciting time ahead. Yeah, she's. I, look, to tell you the truth, didn't know a whole lot about Kylie. Um, you know, read a little bit more about her. She uh, she's South Australian originally, and she uh, spent a lot of time riding track work for for Mick, Mick Price, and eventually he- headed back home and saw the story about her. Her, um, her mother's been unwell, and she's based in South Australia. So Kylie came came back to be closer to her to her mother. Um, yeah, and she's just training a small tra- team out of Murray Bridge, and she's got this one horse. I think it's virtually her first runner, a horse called Surprise Coming. Um, you know, he raced really well in that Magic Millions Classic at Murray Bridge as a two-year-old. And he's come back as a really exciting type as a three-year-old. He uh, he ran a bottling race in the Exford Plate at, at Flemington um, just over a week ago when he was second that day. And um, he's very much in the... Um, in the pipeline to be running in the uh, in the Caulfield Guineas in, in a few weeks' time. So he's, Kylie said he's likely to have a run at Morpherville on Saturday in a 15.50 metre race. Um, that's this upcoming Saturday, and that, that should kind of tune him up and have him as good as he can be for the Caulfield Guineas. But, you know, incredibly exciting for a, for a rookie trainer who, um, you know, has just kind of kicked off her training career, had a, a lifetime in racing, but just started training by herself. And, um, yeah, incredibly exciting that she could have a horse running a race like Caulfield Guineas, which is, you know, one of the most prestigious three-year-old races on the uh, on the racing calendar anywhere in Australia. Good on you, Ben. We'll talk soon. Thanks, David. Ben Scannon joining us this morning on Pressure. Let's go straight to Colin McNiff. Colin, as we join you, uh, Ray Murray, of course, a former high-profile thoroughbred steward, was commissioned to um, look into several areas of integrity and welfare with harness racing, uh, it's been tabbed as the Ray Murray report. Has a, a report been released? It was expected to be released, I think, last week. Mm, just the interim report at this stage, uh, which does suggest that uh, Tasmania needs to tighten laws and regulations to protect the welfare of horses within the industry. Uh, Ray says Tasmania uh, lags behind the rest of the nation uh, in these uh, Reforms, uh, as I say, it's an interim report. The final report is not expected until the end of the year, and that will include race fixing, team driving, animal cruelty in harness racing. Uh, just back on the protection, uh, one recommendation from the Murrahi report is that a small percentage of prize money will go towards rehoming uh, initiatives. Uh, he says that uh, the final report has been delayed due to the availability of witnesses and the volume of information that he has received. So more to play out later in the year from that uh, from that report. Yeah, interesting comments there. So we'll follow that. Uh, Scott Bratton's not having the best of times lately. 
It's a slippery slope for the Bruntons at the present time. Uh, New South Wales stewards are going to open an inquiry today into the conduct of Tegan Keyes and Scott Brunton. Tegan, of course, is Scott's partner. Since they arrived in New South Wales on September 7th, John Keyes, uh, Tegan's father, received an SOS last uh, Thursday and has been granted a visiting training permit. Uh, he'll oversee the training of the inevitable as it leads into Saturday's Epsom handicap, but certainly more to play out there, and it's just not a good time for Scott and Tegan at the uh, at the moment. We were talking about Adam Trinder and his horses being scratched last week. Any follow-up there? Yeah, look, the reason was that one of his horses uh, returned an irregular sample when it won at Devonport on August the 6th. It was human contamination. It's a drug used for treating ADHD, apparently a very low reading, but it has shaken Adam just a little bit. Uh, he's completely cleaned out his stables and uh, uh, not of horses as such, but uh, of, of all materials and then put all new materials through the stables. So, yeah, he's quite shocked by it, but uh, how that contamination occurred is yet to be sorted, but uh, we'll keep you informed there. Highlights from Devonport yesterday. Judge Archer Boogie and Sabrina Stryker, two mares that um, ran first and second in the Vamos Stakes uh, back on Launceston Cup Day. They won their respective races and look to be on target to compete in the rich mares races uh, again this uh, this summer. And a horse called Dora Star, who's a three-year-old half-brother to Stiller Star, romp time on debut, winning by three lengths, came from a wide alley, led and never looked like losing. Fia Carl was aboard and that was one of her two winners for the day. And just before you go, uh, am I right in saying that there's, there'll be a new harness race on the, the Tasmanian calendar? Yeah, on November the 10th, uh, this trend for sprint racing uh, throughout the harness racing industry, this is a race that's going to be called the Dynamo, will be staged in Hobart, 10 heats, six horses in each race over 1,120 metres, which is starting at the top of the straight and the lap. 60 community and sporting clubs will be asked to register and each club will be allocated a horse across the 10 races. Uh, there'll be a $10,000 bonus for the owner of the fastest race time, 7.5K bonus to the trainer, and a $2,500 bonus to the driver. So November 10, the Dynamo in Hobart. Looking forward to that. Thanks, Colin. Cheers, uh, David. Thank you. Colin McNiff joining us on Press Room. That is Press Room for Monday, September 25. Thanks for your company. Hope you enjoyed the show. And as we said, we won't be on air next Monday, being the public holiday. We'll be back in a fortnight's time. We'll take a break and come back and try and find you some winners for today's Thoroughbred Meetings.